trying to answer this question. Is ignorant faith really faith? Is ignorant faith really faith? If you'll turn your Bibles to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 verses 25 through 31. Raise your hand if you've ever been talking to somebody and you got done talking to them and you just realized that everything you had just said had just gone in one ear and it had just traveled out the other. That's what I feel like every single Sunday. I'm just kidding, guys. <laughs> but I will let you in on a little pastoral secret, though. Nothing can deflate a preacher more quickly than someone who misunderstands the entire point of a sermon. You're, going, you're, not, you're only human. You can only absorb so much. Um, but to see someone completely misunderstand a sermon, and it happens. I've done it before. It deflates you. I preached a sermon a few years back on James 1 and, sur- and suffering. Count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. And the point of the sermon was what I thought was, what I I know to be the point of James 1, which is that God orchestrates suffering, our suffering, so that we can learn to trust in Him more, and therefore we should have joy in our suffering because it gives us an opportunity to believe in Jesus even more. I had a woman come up to me after the sermon. She loved the sermon. Loved the sermon. She just completely thought I was saying something else than what I had actually just said. Um, The problem was that instead of actually listening to the sermon, she assumed that I was saying something else and then just proceeded to listen, I assume, to the entire sermon thinking that I was saying something else. She thought I was preaching on how God delivers us from our suffering if we'll just have faith. That's not a wrong concept. That's not what I was saying. (coughs) What I was preaching on is how we should count it all joy in our suffering. Not necessarily when God delivers us from our suffering. Can you tell the difference? What she heard was, have faith in Jesus and He'll deliver you from suffering. What I was saying was, have faith in Jesus regardless if He delivers you from suffering. Big difference. And we end up talking that out. I'll give you another one. I preached one time on missions and the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. My main point was that unless we go and tell people about Jesus, they're going to perish. That was the point. We need to go and tell people the good news that Jesus, that God loves us enough that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. That's not what she heard. (laughs) She heard parts of it, but again, she let one idea inside of her head frame the rest of what I was saying, and it was a little disheartening, but the good news was we ended up getting to talk it out. The idea that she had in her head was that God won't send people to hell if they don't have the chance to hear the gospel because that's not fair. 
What I was saying was actually the exact opposite. God will send people to hell unless they believe in the gospel. One idea in our heads can often change the entire complexion of what someone's actually saying. Sin is so powerful. Sin is so dangerous. Sin is so subtle that you could hear what I'm saying right now, convince yourself you know what I'm saying, and not hear a word I'm saying. Sin isn't just moral. It is that. It is that, that is the essence of sin. It's, it's rebellion. It's, a, it's transgressing the law of God. It's not just in our hearts. It's also in your mind. God has to redeem your heart and your mind. Christians think differently than the rest of the world. I'll give you a little story later on about how he did that in my life. If you notice, before I preach every sermon, do you notice how I try? Sometimes it's hard based on the text. But do you notice how I try before I preach every sermon to give you what? A basic point. And I don't do that because of how stupid you are. <laughs> Some of you are kidding. I do that because of how potent sin is. It will blind you. I'm not talking to you like you're stupid. In, in a seminary they say, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. I don't want you to miss what I'm saying. That's the point. I want it to be so simple that a child could understand it. And even then it's hard. In our text this morning, we're going to look at some people who are watching Jesus from afar seeing the things he's doing, hearing the things he's saying, think that he could be the Christ. And then one biblical idea gets in their heads, and it's enough to convince them that he's not the Christ. <coughs> one false idea keeps them from seeing the glory of the gospel right in front of their eyes. It blinds them. For many of these people, this false idea will destroy their soul. This is why right doctrine is important. It's not because we're highfalutin intellectualists around here who just like knowledge for the sake of gaining knowledge. Right doctrine is needed because people go, will hear whatever they want to hear and they'll believe whatever they want to believe. And the gospel says that what you believe will in turn dictate where you spend eternity. So if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word, John chapter 7, verses 25 through 31. And the Holy Spirit says, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Let's pray. Father, send your Spirit so that I may preach this text faithfully. 
we might understand the essence of faith. And all these things we ask in your son's name, amen. This is a tough passage, I'll just be honest with you. Um, it's not like the good shepherd. <laughs> it's not like ye shall be born again. Most of you all, maybe some of you never even read this passage. My message this morning is going to be two parts. This is what I see happening here in this text. Good news and bad news. We'll start with the bad news. Bad news. One false opinion about God can often keep us from knowing Jesus and seeing His glory. One false opinion about God can often keep us from knowing Jesus and seeing His glory. What you believe matters, okay? Good news. Jesus Christ is able to take our ignorant, fragile faith and make it acceptable to God if we believe in His Word and we are willing to follow Him. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is able to take our ignorant, fragile faith and make it acceptable to God if we believe in His Word and we are willing to follow Him. Verse 26. Verse 26. It, it, it almost sounds like they're almost there. Like they almost get it. They almost believe that He could be the Christ. Verse 26. And here He is, speaking openly. And they say nothing to Him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So it sounds like they might get it. Wait a minute. This guy that walks like the Christ, talks like the Christ, this could be the Christ. And then as just as the light turns on, let's read verse 27. But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Let's stop right there. Is that an accurate statement? Let me read it, let me read it again. Verse 27. This is what they believe. But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Is that accurate? I mean, just, do we find that in Scripture? No. God promised that the Messiah would come from the seed of who? David. Micah prophesied that the Redeemer would be born in where? Bethlehem. Scripture foreshadowed that he would come from the tribe of who? Judah. God has given clear indications where His Redeemer will come from. Sending His prophets, sending His teachers, prefiguring Jesus even from the beginning in Genesis. And now you've got these two guys or these, these group of people going, well, there's one thing we do know, we're not going to know where He comes from. I mean, if I were God up in heaven, I'd just be kind of going, No. One false opinion about God can often keep us from knowing Jesus and seeing His glory. One idea that you get in your head can change the way you read the Bible. I'm going I'm I'm to give a quote here real quick. Jesus helps those who help themselves. Jesus helps those who help themselves. I know people who honestly believe that. There are people out there who think Jesus only helps those who help themselves. Not only is that counter to the message of the gospel, but think for a second. How do you think that shapes the way they view Jesus? How do you think that shapes the way they view the good news that Jesus Christ has come to save people who are unable to save themselves? One idea can completely shape the way you look at the world. How does that person look at the poor? How does that person look at the less fortunate? 
I love this quote. I found this. John Calvin said this, Indeed, there is not a more destructive plague than when men are so intoxicated by the scanty portion of knowledge which they possess that they boldly reject everything that is contrary to their opinion. Have you ever met somebody who gets an idea in their head and they cannot be convinced otherwise? How many people was that you? Huh? I'll give you a, a little story real quick. When I was in college, I was immersed in drunken debauchery. I was making horrible decisions. I was not going to church. And I was distancing myself from the people that I knew were going to speak light into my life. Two of them were living with me. <laughs> and I remember Sam, who was my best friend, he said, Bobby, that sin is evil. It will cost you your soul. I remember him telling me. And I was convinced that he was wrong. There's nothing he could have done to persuade me that my sinful, dark, lustful way of life was going to cost me salvation. When I was and talking about, and a lot of times we can take a, a, a truth, but it's incomplete. I was taught when I was little, this is not untrue, it's just I took it and I didn't use it and I didn't read the rest of Scripture and I just held on to this one I was taught that sin is missing the mark. Anybody else taught that? Okay. That's true. In the Hebrew, that's actually literally what it means. But you can see how my sinful 22-year-old heart would take that and go, I'm just missing the mark. It's like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like shooting practice. I missed it. Not that bad. I, was also, I would take things like Romans 3.23. All have what? Sin. And what? So it's falling short. Does, does falling short sound that bad? I mean, be careful now the way you teach kids about sin because what I understood was it's missing the mark and it's falling short. What I didn't believe was that sin was so vile and so dangerous and so potent and so evil that it could cost me my soul. See, I didn't, I didn't believe that. And so that one idea affected the way I lived. Could it be that sometimes we take one idea and use that idea as a lens to read the rest of Scripture? That's the way that we view the Gospel. We, that, it's so hard not to bring our prejudices and our biases and our assumptions to the text. And friends, hear me this morning. That is exactly the reason we have to keep reading the Bible every single day. When Jesus comes on the scene in John chapter 7, He announces that He comes on a greater authority than Himself. Verses 28 through 29. So Jesus proclaimed as He taught in the temple, You know Me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of My own accord. He who sent Me is true, and Him you do not know. I know Him, for I come from Him, 
and he sent me. So in some sense, the Jews were right. They don't know where he comes from. Jesus says so. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. But Jesus isn't talking about a physical location here so much as the fact that he's telling them they don't know the Father. When Jesus says that the Father is true, what he's saying is the Father is faithful. The Father has ensured that his Son's kingdom will prevail. Friends, hear me this morning. Jesus' message of salvation is no less valid, no less true, no less powerful, no less saving, just because the world rejects it. It's true because it comes from the top. Verse 29, if y'all look there, it, verse 29 provi- provides every reason you need to believe in Jesus. I know Him. I come from Him. He sent me. Jesus knows the Father. Jesus comes from the Father. And He was sent by the Father. That is why you should believe in Jesus. That's all the authority He's giving us as to why we can take it to the bank that what He's saying is true. Jesus Christ is not just a prophet. He is not just a messenger. He is not just God's spokesman. He actually knows the Father and He's from the Father. This is our assurance that the gospel is true and that it saves. It's not Avi's gospel. It's not your gospel. It's not Haynes Creek's gospel. It's God's gospel. It was conceived in heaven, it was initiated in heaven, it was orchestrated from heaven, and because of that, we can take it to the bank. It will succeed. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 is cool. Because it assures us that God is sustaining Jesus' ministry the entire way. This is what it says. So they were seeking to arrest Him, but no one laid a hand on Him because His hour had not yet come. So God, in His providence, is basically making sure that Jesus is not arrested or touched until His appointed hour where then He is then arrested and crucified. Now, here we go. I'm going to spend most of my time this morning on verse 31. This is a very difficult verse. I wrestled a lot with this verse. We need to think deeply about this verse. Here's what it, got. Here's what it says. Yet many of the people believed in Him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Stop. Did anybody catch that? What's weird about that? John, I'm going to read it one more time. Verse 31. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? What's weird about that? They believe in Him, but they don't think He's the Christ. Did you catch that? So John essentially tells us two things. Thanks to the grace of God, many people came to faith in Jesus. Secondly, strangely enough, they didn't fully understand that Jesus was the Christ. Do you see what I mean when we have to wrestle with this text? What do we make of this? Well, Jesus took their ignorant faith and he, and he made it acceptable to God. But how are we to make sense of the fact because someone could take this text and they go, look, see, you, I can believe in Jesus, I just don't have to believe that He's the Christ and I can be saved. Isn't that a dangerous idea? There's a couple things we need to make sure we, we get right before we go on. One, this is in light of the resurrection, this is not the normal means by which someone is saved. Okay? 
When I baptize someone, I profess, they have to profess that Jesus is the what? The Christ. Someone who follows Jesus is called a who? A Christian. So it's kind of basic. To be a Christian, you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Christian is a little Christ that comes from Acts 11. So believing that Jesus is the Christ is basic to the Christian confession. At the Caesarea Philippi, Peter find, or Jesus finally asked Peter, Who do you say that I am? And what does he say? You're the Christ. Number two, in this instance, I think it's fair to say that these people don't really understand who or what the Christ actually is. So we need to get that, that straight, okay? Let's not miss this text. The fa- this faith is ignorant faith, but it's faith. The question is, how? John says that they believe, but what do they actually believe? And I think the answer to that question is this. While they didn't fully understand that Jesus was the Christ, they believed that His words were true and that He was from God. When I was in seminary, occasionally I would hear guys who were getting rebaptized, And I'd ask them, and I'd go, well, why are you getting baptized? And they're like, man, I just... When I got baptized, I, I didn't understand the imputation of righteousness, man. I didn't understand that, you know, we got reunion with Christ and I didn't understand all that stuff. Man, I just got baptized and I'm like, did you think that when you got saved that you had to be a theologian? Faith grows. When I, when, if you baptize a child who's, who's 11 or 12 years old, I don't have to take them through the entire Wayne Grudem systematic theology. But I do have to make sure that I understand that Jesus is the Christ and He's the Son of God and they need saving and He's able to save. Do you remember Peter a couple weeks ago when Jesus turned to the disciples? What did He say? You're going to leave me too? Do you remember what Jesus says? Lord, to whom shall we go? And this is what He says. You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that You're the Holy One of God. At no time does, does Peter say You're the Christ. Not even the disciples fully understand who Jesus is. But they believe that His words are true and that He's from God. And Jesus counts that as faith. There are many Christians I know who don't have the best understanding of Scripture. There are many who have wrong assumptions about Jesus. I met somebody the other day that thought Jesus and the Father were like different forms of the same person. That's called modalism. It's heresy. There are a lot of people who are not really sure what... I met somebody the other day who thought Christ was Jesus' last name. But if you believe that the Bible is true and you know that, that Jesus is the Son of God and you know that He's mighty to save and that you need saving, God can count that as acceptable faith. <coughs> the difference between the Pharisees and the people in this passage is this. They believe what Jesus says and they're willing to follow Him. It's ignorant faith, but they're willing to learn. Now, I want to be clear here. I've met a lot of Christians also who have ignorant faith and they're okay with remaining ignorant. They don't read their Bible. They don't like learning doctrine. Their hearts are not interested in growing spiritually. That's not ignorant faith. That's someone who's making their ignorance an excuse for not seeking after God. In the end, God can accept ignorant faith, but in the end, it's got to be faith. When I met Kelly for the first time, 
I didn't know her story. You know, after two months of dating Kelly, I didn't know her story. I didn't know the depths of her heart. I didn't know all her tendencies. But I knew that I loved her. And I knew I wanted to know more about her. And it's the same way when someone offers God their ignorant, broken, mustard seed-sized faith. Because they're saying, I don't understand it all, but I'm willing to follow you and I want to know more. That's what we're looking at with these ignorant people here. They're ignorant. They think that Jesus is worth following, but, and they believe in Him, but they don't know that He's the Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. This is for you, Josh. There is nothing which I know of which is more unscriptural and which is more dangerous to the soul than to divide doctrine from life. There are certain superficial people who say, Oh, I cannot be bothered with doctrine. I haven't the time. I am a busy man. I have not the time to read books and have not perhaps the aptitude. I'm a practical man. I believe in living the Christian life. Let others who are interested in doctrine be interested. There is nothing that every New Testament letter condemns more than just such an attitude. People who think doctrine is for nerds and intelligent people, they're missing the point. Doctrine matters because we love our beloved. We want to know more about Him. We want to know Him. We want to discover Him. We want to follow Him. We want to find our life in Him. We may be ignorant, but we want to know more. And that's why I believe John says they believed in Him is because they, they believed Jesus' words were true and they were willing to follow Him. There are many people here in Newton County who are going to burn in hell because they have a wrong view of who Jesus is. There are many people here in Newton County who have horrible view of God and it will cost them their soul. What you believe about God matters. But friends, hear me when I say this. God saves ignorant Christians. John assures us that many people believe. <laughs> that Christian, I met a girl the other day. She's a Christian. She just she just believed that she believed that it that she believed in ghosts. And I was like, I mean like like demons? She's like, no, 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 ghosts. And I said, okay. She said, no, 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 yeah, they're in the, they're in the, uh, you know, they're in another realm. I said, well, are they saved or are they not saved? She couldn't answer that. <laughs> I said, do you believe that people are saved by the blood of Jesus? Oh, yeah. Do you believe people go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus? Yeah. They just become ghosts first. I was like, oh. <laughs> I think that woman could be saved. That, that stuff that she believes, she didn't get it from the Bible, and it's ignorance. But if she believes in the words of Jesus, I hope she does. If she believed, if she read the Bible, she would know that whatever she said was hogwash. But I think that God can count that as acceptable faith if, in fact, she believes that Jesus is her Savior. I met another girl the other day who believed that when people die, they become angels. That, that's not true. You don't grow wings in heaven. You are, and you know why that matters? Because you are so much better, not better, you are so much more exalted than an angel. Angels are ministering spirits to people.
God's plan for you is so much more than giving you a halo and letting you roll around on a cloud. But that woman also believed that Jesus was her Savior. And I believe that if she really professed that and believed that with all of her heart and believed that the words of God were true, she could be saved. But if you have a friend who believes in God but doesn't believe that Jesus was God, that's not called ignorant faith, that's called unbelief. If you have a family member who claims to believe in God but they have never read their Bible and they don't intend to, that's not ignorant faith, that's called unbelief. Do you understand the distinction? I believe what we're looking at, do, you, do we have a better example of ignorant faith than a child? If my child were to come to me and go, Hey, Jesus! I'm like, get some real theology. A child's faith, a 12-year-old child, for instance, who's getting baptized, they have horrible theology, they're incredibly naive, and they're really ignorant, and yet Jesus says, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Because they believe Daddy, and they will follow Him. And that's why the true children of God will always do one thing. They'll grow up. Are you growing? Because if you're not growing, if you're not seeking after Him with your whole heart, if you don't know more about God today than you did a year ago, it may be that you don't have ignorant faith, you just don't have faith. Because what these people don't have is a full knowledge of God, but what they do have is a heart that longs to follow after Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said this. When in doubt, just read Spurgeon. The church is the nursery for God's weak children where they can be nourished and grow up strong. If you're in church today, if you're listening to the sermon right now, you don't have to have incredible theology. You don't have to know a ton of the Bible. You don't have to memorize books of the Bible. But what you do have to have is a heart that longs to seek Jesus. And if you come into the church, our job is to see you grow with us. People have some crazy theology, guys. There are people out there who believe that the book of Revelation is really about America. There are people out there who think that, like, Trump is the Antichrist. There are people out there who have these strange visions and dreams. It's whacked. It's awful. They didn't get that from the Bible. But I think that if they believe that Jesus can save, He's mighty to save, and He is the Son of God, and they're going to follow after Him, and they believe that His words are true, God can take that fragile, weak, ignorant, homespun faith, and He can put it to the Father and say, this is acceptable. May we never, ever shut out the ignorant from this church. Jesus didn't. You know how I know? Because we're here. And he promises us, though, that one day we're not going to walk by faith. We're going to walk by what? Sight. And until then, we are marching toward a goal, growing in the knowledge of Christ. This morning, if you are uneducated, 
If you have little to no knowledge of the Bible, but you're willing to seek after God with your whole heart and to love Him with all your heart, soul, and mind, i got good news and i got bad news. The bad news is God is holy and He doesn't accept sin into His throne room. The good news is that Jesus shed His blood so that we might be able to look at the face of God. And all it takes is faith. Ignorant faith. But you've got to believe that this book is true. And you've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and He is mighty to save. There's no Christian that doesn't believe that Jesus is the Christ. That is basic to our confession. And if we have that and we're willing to follow after Him, it is acceptable to our God. May we never cast out the ignorant, but we, may we always be looking to grow in our knowledge of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, what a tough passage. But we have all started on milk. We've all been weaned on the milk of the gospel, and we have all sought to grow. You took us when we were ignorant. You took us when we were blind. But Father, we know that in Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, we don't have to stay that way. Have mercy on us when we fall short, Father. Forgive us when we are blind. And help us to have mercy on those who may be more ignorant than they need to be. But Father, let us always be a people that seek to build up and encourage and not tear down. You take ignorant faith, and just like that mustard seed, you make it grow into something magnificent. And all these things we ask in your son's name, amen.